have a Jonah, please. Well done, Jonah was listening. That's good. <laughs> okay. One day, long ago, God said to Jonah, up on your feet and on your way to the big city of Nineveh and tell them to stop doing bad things. Hmm, thought Jonah. Jo- Jonah. <laughs> I'm not going there. It's a terrible place. Secretly, he wanted the Ninevites to be punished for being bad. So Jonah decided to disobey God and to go as far away from Nineveh as he could. He went down to the harbour and found a boat that was headed for Tarshish. He paid the fare and went on board. He wanted to be as far away from God as he could get. As the boat set sail, Jonah went down into the hold and went to sleep. But God sent a big storm. The sky became dark. Right. The wind blew stronger and stronger. Can you help make the sound of the wind blowing stronger and stronger? Very good. And stronger and stronger. It made the boat begin to rock and all of the sailors started to feel sick. But Jonah was asleep. (laughs) There was loud thunder, lightning and lots of rain. The waves crashed into the boat. But Jonah was asleep. The sailors were frightened. Can you look like frightened sailors? Oh, gosh. They'd never seen such a bad storm. They thought the boat was going to sink. Jonah was still asleep. The boat's captain found Jonah sound asleep. Right, as we did such a good job of waking up Prayer Bear, do you think we can help the captain wake up Jonah? we just do it once. One, two, three, wake up Jonah. Yes? Think you can help? Right, let's try. Everybody, one, two, three, wake up, Jonah! Well done. The captain told Jonah to get up and to pray to his God for help. The storm is my fault, said Jonah. I shouldn't have tried to run away from God. Throw me into the sea and the storm will stop. But the sailors didn't want to hurt Jonah. So they tried to row back to the shore. Can we do a bit of rowing? It's hard work. In fact, it's actually impossible. And the storm's just getting worse. So we give up that idea. And so the sailors picked up Jonah and they threw him into the sea. Instantly, the storm stopped and the sea became calm. The sailors were in awe of God and worshipped him. God loved Jonah and kept him safe. But just then, Jonah saw a very big fish coming. Gulp! The fish swallowed Jonah. For three days and nights, Jonah was inside the fish. It wasn't very nice. It must have been very dark and very smelly. Jonah did a lot of praying to God whilst in the belly of the fish. I'm sorry, God, he said. I should have done what you asked. And he also thanked God for keeping him safe. And then God told the fish to spit Jonah onto dry land. 
Jonah was happy to be out of the fish, but boy, did he need a shower. He was slimy and smelly. For the second time, God said to Jonah, up on your feet and on your way to the big city of Nineveh. Give the people a message from me. Tell them that I am angry with them because of all the bad things they have done. Tell them that as a punishment, I am going to destroy their city. This time, Jonah did what God asked. He went to Nineveh. The people there were very upset when they heard God's message. If we show we are really sorry, they said, perhaps God will change his mind. And everyone, including the king, began to pray. They took off their smart clothes and wore some made of rough, itchy material. They stopped eating and drinking. And now God can see we are sorry, they said. Perhaps he will change his mind. And because God loves and cares for people, he did. Now that could be the end of the story, except Jonah left the city very angry. He was mad that God didn't punish the people. So Jonah went and sulked. God saw Jonah and knew how he was feeling. So God explained to Jonah that he loves everyone and he doesn't like to destroy people who are doing bad things, but he would rather see them turn from their bad ways and do good. Okay. Have you ever heard the common phrase, I'm a man on a mission? Yes. It's definitely something that I can identify with, and I think it's something that all of us can. Here are some examples of missions that I've found people on. There's a website called Chronicle Live, and there's a, mark, a, name called, yeah, a man called Mark from Newcastle. And the title of the article was, Meet Man on a Mission to Bring Allotment Gardening to a New Generation. There's Anthony Pettis, um, who's a man on a mission in February boxing. I want to build this legacy. I'm 29 years old, and it's time to make a change. I'm heading down to that £145 division, and I'm going to get that belt. I'm a man on a mission right now, and I'm very focused. The Urban Dictionary definition, which I had to paraphrase slightly to be comfortable with saying. <laughs> a situation when a young gentleman or teenager is in search to ask out a specific girl in mind, whether it be on a date or a special event. Asking out the girl requires planning, thought, timing and courage. It could even be something as simple as going to the shops to get something you want for dinner. Each of these things require focus, thought, planning and time, each to varying degrees depending on what the mission is. I think being on mission is very intentional and it doesn't happen by accident. Jonah was a man on a mission who at first sight seemed to have a pretty great CV. He was an Old Testament prophet, a servant of God, set apart by God to proclaim his word to the people. So, Jonah sounds pretty spectacular so far, doesn't he? Though all is not as it seems at first sight. Because although Jonah was on a mission, the trouble was he was on his own mission. Now, at first, you might think, well, you just said going to the shops is a mission. That, surely that's a mission for yourself, or can be a mission for yourself. But the trouble with Jonah's mission for himself was that his mission was to flee from God. His mission was the opposite 
of what God's mission was for him to do. And so that brings me to my first segment, which is the mission and the flight. So if you can turn to Jonah 1 in your Bibles, and we'll read the first three verses. It should appear, ah, it's already on the screen, look at that. Just let people find their place. Oh, lovely. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So the question is, why did Jonah run? When we consider his credentials, all that he had going for him, his relationship with God, hearing God so clearly, why, what was it that caused him to flee? I think so many of us long to hear God's specific call for our lives, don't we? We long to hear God give us the details of what to do. And we'd give anything for that. And yet Jonah had that and still didn't do it. I think the trouble is we can put biblical characters on pedestals thinking, how can I ever be like them? We can take people like Moses, like Daniel, like David, Peter, Paul, and we can think, how can we ever attain to be like them? But when we look at the fine details of their stories, actually, each and every one of these were men of weakness. Yes, they all have their strengths, but they all have their weaknesses too. Like each one of us, we are all different, and our strengths tend to complement each other, because we all have weaknesses. And the big thing is, God delights to work through the strengths he's given us, but he also delights in working through our weaknesses to show who he is and that he is God. If you've ever asked Jesus to be the Lord and Saviour of your life and repented of your old sinful ways, you're now what the Bible calls a saint, a holy one, set apart for God. You're chosen by him. When you start to think like that, actually your CV all of a sudden starts to sound quite impressive. So you are called and chosen by God. So can you repeat that? I am called and chosen by God. I am called and chosen by God. I am set apart for him. I am set apart for him. To do the good works he has prepared for me. To do the good works he has prepared for me. And I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It's amazing, isn't it? We can declare that truth. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And we know that Christ lives in us and equips us for all he calls us to. So with all of this in consideration, what drove Jonah on his mission to flee from the presence of God? At first, it's easy to speculate and think, so the city of Nineveh was the capital of Syria at the time. They were a massive empire. They were gradually taking over the world, destroying the surrounding nations. They were a people of brutality, people who they took prisoner, they would actually impale on spikes. If you heard of that reputation, would you want to go up to them and say, God's going to destroy you in 40 days? You'd be scared that you're going to receive the same treatment as those around you. But actually, in Jonah 4, in, yeah, in Jonah 4 we find out that that's not the reason why Jonah fled. If we turn to Jonah 4, it's probably worth keeping your Bibles open, because we're, we're flicking around a little bit. Uh, we're reading the first three verses but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. So this is set just after God relented from destroying Nineveh. 
And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. When we read this, we can see Jonah was a man who knew certain truths about God. He knew that God was gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. He even used these truths to justify his mission to flee from God. So, to me, this shows that being aware of the truth of God is not enough. Because it even reminds me of the Pharisees from the New Testament. They knew the truth of God, and yet, when the word actually came to them in the flesh, Jesus came to them, they did not recognise him for who he was. about a bit. <laughs> so, considering all of that, I would say an educated guess with the historical context and everything that was going on as to why Jonah fled would be because he was putting himself first and his nation first. He saw how Assyria was growing and how great the city of Nineveh was, how evil the people were, and he feared that, they were, that his people group were going to be next and that they would be conquered by the Ninevites, which actually does happen later on. Uh, and so Jonah was carrying this elitist mentality that doesn't line up with God's heart. He was putting himself first and his people first, saying, I don't want the Ninevites to be saved because they are a threat to us. I'd rather them be punished for what God, for sinning against God than actually God forgiving them. So at this point, I think it shows that Jonah's heart was not in the right place and that he needed heart surgery. And so this is my second point. So although Jonah was a prophet, he was called by God, he was not the finished product. Like all of us, God keeps working on our heart throughout our whole lives, teaching us by his grace. As it says in Corinthians, God is changing us all from glory to glory. So let's look at how God performed surgery on Jonah's heart. First, you notice that when God calls Jonah, he still lets Jonah decide what path to take, and Jonah chooses to flee. Jonah goes his own way, fully making that out of his own free will. But God uses his sovereign power, his rule and reign over creation, being totally motivated by love, to draw Jonah back to himself. So when we just heard the story of Jonah, and we can think, how could a loving God put Jonah through what he did? Jonah was put through the most horrific storm in which all the experienced sailors were fearing for their lives and thought they were about to meet like, the end of their lives. And if experienced sailors were like that, even though Jonah was asleep at first, you think when he was aware of what was going on around him, Actually, it would be quite terrifying. Then he got thrown overboard into the sea. And we don't know if he rose at that thought process himself of just throw me over, or whether he was confident God would do something in that anyway. But in all likelihood, at that moment, we'd expect him to drown. So, and he probably went 
like the fish probably didn't swallow him straight away. So he probably went through agony and pain and was probably struggling to breathe. And then a whale eats him. Now that's not going to be fun, is it? And he stays in the whale for three days and three nights. I say whale, also probably called a big fish, not a whale. I'm just used to it being called a whale. Um, So he went through this horrific ordeal and in all honesty was still angry at the end of it. So we can be like, what fruit was there by God putting him through this? Surely a loving God wouldn't do that to his servant. But actually, in Jonah 2, we see the fruit of God's work in Jonah's life. And so I'm going to read out the prayer that Jonah prays when he's in the belly of the, white, of the big fish. <laughs> so hard getting that out of your head. It's like, <laughs> I always call it an apple still in, in the garden. No, it's a fruit. <laughs> then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed up on me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. So Jonah remembers the Lord and praises him. This might seem strange to us at first, but when we remember that God is gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, if all those traits are true about God and he cannot do anything without fulfilling all those traits that's within him, we actually can see that he would not put Jonah through more than Jonah could handle. And actually, Jonah was in the potter's hand And what he encountered was just what he needed to bring him back to God in a positive manner and walk out in obedience. Rather than fleeing from God's presence, he was returning to it. He didn't have to pray when he was in the belly of the whale. He didn't have to pray, oh God, you are the God who saved me. But he recognised in everything that had gone on and been ordained by God, that it was for his good and his benefit. And God was still the God of steadfast love. So at this point, it would be easy to look at the situation and think, well, that's it then. It's all sorted. God's works in Jonah's heart. Jonah said, actually, I will fulfill the vows I've made to you, God. He praises God, recognises God is the God of salvation. And then he goes on to carry out the Lord's mission. How amazing. But as we already heard in the account of the story earlier, although Jonah goes on to do what God has commanded him, the story doesn't end there. So after God relented from destroying Nineveh because they repented, Jonah was exceedingly displeased. And he was really angry. If we turn to Jonah 4 and start from verse 5, it reads, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade, 
till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God had appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm and it attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked what he might do to die. And he he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. So Jonah has just led a massive revival. The capital city of a nation that was far from God's, steeped in sin and awful acts, well known for its evil practices, not only to the Israelites, people of God, but to the other nations surrounding it. That capital city had just become saved. We long for that in our days. We long for London, to, for the people of London to meet with God, from the poorest people there to the richest, from the youngest to the oldest, to those in control, for the king to declare, or our queen, as it is in, for us over the nation, we need to repent. We need to say sorry to God for everything we've done, and we need to pray and fast and hope that he saves us. We'd be ecstatic, wouldn't we? if that happened. But yet Jonah was angry. He was still really angry. Here, once again, we see a loving, compassionate, gracious God working on Jonah's heart. It wasn't all sorted in one sitting. There is an ongoing process here, as there is for all of us. When Jonah went outside the city to watch it in his anger, God caused a plant to grow and protect Jonah from the sun. God didn't have to do that, but he did. The next day, God causes a plant to be eaten by a worm and wither, taking away Jonah's protection. And God even sends a scorching east wind to beat on Jonah's head. Once again at this point, I think our first response is, how unfair. Out of God's grace, he provided something for Jonah and then took it away. And once again, Jonah wanted to die. He couldn't hack it anymore. Why would God do this to his poor servant Jonah? Surely, God could have just talked to Jonah and said, look, your heart's not right. You need to change it. Or God could have just done it by a miracle. But the reality is, as I once heard another preacher say, this is slightly paraphrased, but we are always told about the truth of who God is. We can be told every day, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. And yet, you get home and you forget it. We actually need to experience God's love, compassion, grace in life, in the everyday, for it to change us. And that's exactly what goes on here. Through what God does with the plant... It actually shows Jonah God's love, mercy and grace. But Jonah will only get that at the end of the story. So God causes the plant to die, which made Jonah angry again. 
And this is where we see the amazing wisdom of God and what God has done. God questions Jonah at this point and says, do you have the right to be angry for the plant? Do you have the right to be angry for it? And Jonah says, yes, yes I do, actually I do. And then I'm going to read verse 10 here from Jonah because of, I think this sums it up brilliantly. So the Lord says in reply to Jonah, You pitied a plant for which you did not labour, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much the cattle? kind of want to know what happens next, don't we? But that's how the book ends. It ends on that question. It ends on that cliffhanger. So we don't actually know what Jonah's response is. We can only speculate. Was Jonah changed? Was that enough to change his heart? I can only imagine that in that situation, if something that I dearly loved and was so thankful for, was taken away from me. And then God, the Almighty One, the Creator, says, I created that. I took it away. I had the right. And it pained you. How much more so would it pain me to destroy those people who I've made and who I've loved? And I didn't make them to be evil, but they have turned away from me, and it greatly grieves my heart Surely I want to give them the opportunity to turn back to me and to be saved. So if me destroying the plant, Jonah, greatly upsets you so much, how much more would me destroying the city that I created upset me? That is why Jesus was sent to earth. And this leads nicely into my third section. Jesus was sent to earth to make a way for all to be saved. Scripture tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us deserved death. We all deserved eternal punishment. But Jesus came to earth and lived a perfect life for us and died for us on the cross. What took place is what is called the great exchange. On the cross, he took our sin upon his shoulders and gave his righteousness to us that we might be cleansed and be in right relationship with God. That we may have eternal life in him. So that is available for all who repent of their sins and put their faith in Christ Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. And to all those who have put their faith in Jesus, we become followers of him, disciples of him, And he gives us a mission. In Matthew 28, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Again and again we come back to this, this great commission, this mission that God has given us. 
And in all honesty, when I think of it in certain contexts, it scares the life out of me. But we must remember what we talked about earlier. When you become a Christian, you get a new CV. Here are some of the truths that we talked about earlier. We are called and chosen by God. We are adopted by God into his family. We are set apart for him to do good works for him that he has prepared for us. And we must remember that we can do all things through him who strengthens us. Which is great because it takes the pressure off ourselves in a way. We're to be obedient and we're to take the gospel message out there but we do it in his strength, not our own. God has equipped us and will continue to equip us for all that he has for us to do. As a church, we have a prophecy from God about an open door this year. This will be an opportunity for the gospel for us as a church to spread. We don't know the exact details of it, but we need to be watchful for it. We need to be continuing to pray into it. I think it's something that in the business of life, over time, we can forget about that. We can forget about that call that we think God has for us this year. And we can almost miss it. I think God is saying to us, we need to be intentional. We need to be, still continue to be intentional in looking for that. It's part of the mission that God has given us. It is actually exciting being on mission with God. I know Jonah didn't respond in an exciting way. But I can think of examples when God has gave me to, when I was working in Coventry at Nexus, a Christian music school, I felt God tell me to leave. And so I took a step of faith and left and handed in my notice before I had something else to go to. And it took me probably over a year to find the right place that God was calling me to next. Uh, and God provided for me in all that time. And I had just enough work to get by in that time. But I knew from the beginning that when God told me to leave, he had the right thing for me to do next. And it was an exciting time. And I saw God provide for me in amazing ways, financially, and opportunities to do mission uh, within the city centre as well during the average week, which I wouldn't have got to do if I was at work at that moment. And the thing to remember, or that I have to remember, is yes, it was difficult as well. Sometimes we can look back at the difficult times and actually see God so at work in them that we think it was easy. And it was difficult, and it was hard, and it was challenging. And there was dark times where I rang friends or my parents really distressed. But actually, there was also times that we could rejoice together over what God was doing and being on mission with him. So remember, to be on mission requires us to be intentional. It requires us to be focused. It requires us to have an element of planning, and it requires our time. And depending on what the mission is, it requires all of these things to varying degrees. So in conclusion, we see the book of Jonah isn't about a big fish swallowing Jonah. Though that is amazing, it's not the main focus. God and Jonah are the main characters, and we cannot help but see all things under God's control and rule, and he loves passionately all things that he's created. If the worship team can start making their way back up, please. So as we look at Jonah, we actually find great comfort. As you see, we are on a journey. God wants us to have a heart after his own heart, faithfully being on the mission that he has called us to. 
And like a loving father, he takes us by the hands and guides us, teaching us by his grace, doing surgery on our hearts, bit by bit, over our whole lives, showing again and again that his ways are greater than ours, and he wants us to partner in his ways. So we are people called and chosen by God to be on a mission with him. So I leave you with a question. Whose mission are you currently on? So I'm just going to quickly pray and then we'll hand over to the worship team. Lord, I thank you that every one of us that have put our faith in you, you have called, you have chosen, we have been adopted into your family. Lord, and I thank you that you have missions for each and every one of us. We have that general mission, that general sense, that call to take your word to the nations, to make disciples of all people, baptising them in your name. Lord, and we also recognise that as individuals, you also give us different missions that coincide with that. And Lord, I pray, let us be sensitive to your voice, to your call. And I pray, let us always have soft hearts, willing to submit to your grace teaching us day by day that we may be conformed to your image and be a shining light of you to the surrounding world around us. In your name, amen.